Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Great show today. Another fantastic founder with a great background and a great future. Um, I have my friends on this show all the time. It's one of the things I'm lucky enough to do with this platform is promote my friends and enjoy their company. But today, there's few people that I like more in the world than Ben Larson. He is a cannabis industry staple, Oakland's finest, a very dear friend. He has a beautiful family, a new company called Vertosa. We talk about that and how to infuse the world. We talk about his fundraising a bit. Also, we just have a lot of fun and catch up as old friends. I miss Gateway, miss those days. Vertosa is here to stay. Congrats on all the progression, all the traction, all the growth, all the big brands. Bright future for Ben Larson uh, and Vertosa. Before we get into the episode, a special shout out and thank you to our partner and sponsor, NorCal Cannabis. Support for investing in cannabis comes from NorCal Cannabis Company, the most complete cannabis ecosystem in California. As the number one delivery network in the state, NorCal Cannabis makes more than 2,000 delivery transactions daily and has the reach to serve 10 million customers in person within 60 minutes. This isn't food delivery. This is cannabis. To learn more, visit thefutureofcannabis.com. Thanks again, guys, for supporting independent media. All right, let's get into the show with my friend Ben Larson of Vertosa. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Okay, so new company, Vertosa. Give yes, us sir. your elevator pitch. What's what's Vertosa? Uh, yeah, we're a manufacturer of bulk ingredients uh, for infused products. Uh, in the very simple fashion, we are taking the inputs that you want to put into, say, a beverage, uh, which is hot right now, uh, topicals, edibles, and we're just making them very easy to use. Uh, so we have this layer of technology. Our, our flagship product was a nano emulsion. So breaking those oil droplets down into a very uh, small droplet and making it stable in water, uh, which is exciting from a, a consistency stability standpoint, um, but also highly bioavailable and just kind of completely changing the uh, quote unquote edible experience. A lot to unpack there. So yeah. what would have been the solution prior to a nano emulsion? Uh, well, it depends on who you were and the resources you had, right? Um, a lot of people were beginning to, well, it all started, you know, people putting it into butter and chocolate, right? Those were the, the easiest way to extract oil and, and put them in food. Um, but as we know, like consuming those products, is it's a longer onset, unpredictable experience, kind of a homogenous experience, depending on, on the plant material. And, um, you know, people became more sophisticated, started talking about encapsulations and emulsions and, and this it's sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, chemists started entering the industry, finding ways to put oil into water. Um, but it's a, it's a very complicated science, right? And unless you have a very specific background in surface chemistry, um, you're going to run into challenges, right? 
And in this industry, you know, people are often looking to make a quick buck. And so we've seen a lot of companies that, you know, maybe they file a patent or they design a machine and they're like, all right, my business model is going to be getting this into as many people's hands as possible mm -hmm. and paying them that having them pay me on a recurring basis. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but unfortunately, what that's doing is putting complicated science into the hands of practitioners that are try, it's just trying to build brands and products, right? And so sales guys, marketing guys. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're great. They're like, oh, we we figured it out. We yeah. we've done it. And or we have this proprietary technology. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, it's not proprietary if everyone else has it. Um, <laughs> and if it's not working great, like it doesn't really matter. Um, and so what does not working great mean? What well, yeah. um, you know, what, what was the problem that we, we had with beverages when they first came on the market, right? It was uh, shake well, consume, and wait an hour, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, if someone told you that when you were drinking your coffee, like, would you drink coffee? No, I would go drink a Red Bull, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, some people love Red Bull in the morning. It's weird. Um, I don't like Red Bull anytime. Yeah. Forget the no, morning. No. <laughs> but, yeah, so I think one of the other big things is it took forever to hit you, like you said. Uh, an hour in some cases. Mm -hmm. I think other edibles, which we'll talk about how these are not edibles, yeah. but they take two hours, yep. 90 minutes. Right. Who has time to wait to get high like that? I, I don't wait. And then that's the problem. Like I, I my ADD kicks in and like I forget that I consumed it and then I'll be going somewhere like two hours later <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm like, hi. And I'm like, oh, this is like really messing up my day and now I'm on this ride for the next like six hours. Totally. And yeah. I don't experience this anymore, but I think early consumers, new consumers, what happens is they don't realize that they need to wait. Right. Right. They just assume like, oh, I ate this. Yeah. It's all good. And they don't realize, they also don't realize the sort of layering effect of cannabis, yeah. which I find like the first time you consume something during the day, you get a certain high, and then there's a little bit of residual from that high that goes mm -hmm. to the next high. And so if you're layering edibles, you're going to have a, a interesting day. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, and it's just interesting because, like, you know, the cannabis culture and community, it's very social. And it's born out of this realm of, like, you know, smoking has a it's a pulmonary uh, pulmonary absorption. Right. So it's like it's very fast. Um, and you have that instant reaction. And so at least there's a social aspect to where I'm, you know, I smoke a little bit or I, I feel a certain way and, and I know how to control that. Um, but when you're having an edible, there's nothing social about it. Mm -hmm. Like you pop it and like, all right, I hope I consumed enough and, yeah. and I'm, I'm going to go on this journey. Um, and so there's this, like this, there's this cognitive disconnect around like why people are consuming it. And sidebar, I mean, if they're consuming it for health reasons, medical reasons, it's actually a great application because it's long-lasting. Sure. It gets in there deep. Um, but if you're doing it from a social aspect, which is a, how a lot of them are marketed, I think there's just a misalignment between the what the consumer experiences and and kind of you know what is being delivered. You know? Are there edibles that have a similar onset time to what you're producing? Uh, I think there are uh, ways to design edibles to mm -hmm. do that mm -hmm. using a similar technology as to what we're doing in beverages. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and it all comes down to the biology and the chemistry of, of like how the cannabinoids are, are absorbed. Mm -hmm. Right. So beverages are super interesting because it's creating a lot of, uh, exposure, uh, to the membranes that are the most porous in the body. Right. So like everyone always talks about sublingual. And so when you drink a beverage, you, that the liquid naturally goes under the tongue, around the tongue and what, what have you. 
Um, so if you create an edible that has kind of that sort of exposure, uh, then you're going to have a, a faster absorption, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's if it's a solid matrix and you're you're you know shoving it down your throat and it's going into your digestive tract, then you're probably going to get an edible experience, mm-hmm. right? So and and where do tinctures and or sprays sort of fit in that spectrum? Yeah, well, I mean they're both are liquid, and so it comes down to the actual uh, fluid itself, right? You can try to atomize an oil, um, but it's, a it's going to be difficult. You get those like pump sprays that get all gummy and nasty to 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 use, and so. It's like not a great user experience, um, but by using kind of the, these uh, micro and nano emulsion systems, you can get a finer spray. You can get a faster acting tincture. Um, there's just limitations, and, and you need to really understand the, the chemistry and how to create, create a great product. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you don't have that chemistry background. I don't. I'm a fast learner, though. Yeah, you're a fast <laughs> learner. That's obvious. Uh, yeah. But you connected with Harold. Tell us a yeah. little bit about that story and what he brings to the to the table. So, yeah, do, uh, Dr. Harold Hahn, like the happiest scientist I've ever met. Um, he's just... It a, sounds like a happy name. Yeah. Harold Hahn just sounds happy to me. You know, when I, when I met Harold early on, um, not only was I just, like, obsessed with his knowledge... Um, he told me, he, I asked him, I, I asked this of like, you know, aspiring founders. I'm like, you know, what is your mission? And he told me that his mission was to spread happiness among the world. And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. We need to be friends yeah. and let me help you make this company. And so when he did approach me, you know, I was, I was in the full throes of, of Gateway. Uh, he had this amazing career of all around surface chemistry. He has a PhD in surface chemistry, which is basically emulsion science. It's the interface uh, between oil and water. His entire career. Uh, So when he was doing his PhD out of NYU, uh, he was working with PepsiCo designing orange oils um, to be, you know, stable in water. So you can make naturally flavored orange soda. Orange Pepsi, yeah. Yeah. Got it. so That's he did, fascinating. He did that, yeah. uh, which is a great foreshadowing of, of bringing him into this industry. Uh, but what he did for the next six years after that, I argue, is even more interesting. Uh, it just doesn't sound as cool as Pepsi. Um, but he worked at uh, this diagnostics company called BioRed, uh, where he led the team of scientists that designed the most prolific and state uh, or stable emulsion system. Uh, so this emulsion system, if you can imagine, creates all these tiny droplets and those droplets are actually being used in this system as, as tiny test tubes. And so you're dividing up a blood sample into these tiny test tubes and without sounding too much like Theranos. Yeah. <laughs> um, but essentially, you know, you're, you're, you're using this to kind of detect variances in the blood. And what it allows you to do is detect cancer at very early stages, uh-huh. right? So this is the DDPCR method. Uh, his emulsion system has been scaled into over 90 countries around the world. Wow. Um, and it's considered the world's most stable emulsion. Uh-huh. So that plus orange oil, you know, he comes and asks me how he can help the industry that he has recently fallen in love with because he tried cannabis for the first time and he didn't understand why it was illegal. Like recently, like three years ago or something. Yeah, I think t- uh, four years ago. Four he, years ago. As, like, as he likes to say it, he smoked his first blunt. Um, <laughs> and it was just like he went through this, uh, the, the psychological, you know, kind of evolution of like, uh, well, first, it didn't really work for me. I don't really get it. Like, mm-hmm. what, what is everyone afraid about? Mm-hmm. Tried it again. Be like, 
well, now I'm just smiling and, and happy and yeah. dancing. Um, why is this illegal? Like the yeah. country I come from, you know, chi- or he comes from China. Um, you know, why is it like so demonized? And so he went through that process and then he, he found me at gateway and he's like, I want to dedicate my career to this and what can I do? Mm-hmm. So that early, that, mm-hmm. that's when we started. And I am like, look, I've, I've been looking at these different technologies. People are trying to make beverages. I think Ed Rosenthal had released something at the time. You know, there's different practitioners, but nothing really exciting. Stardust was in his cult. Yeah. Stardust. Yeah. Or something. I wasn't going to call him out, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, look, we just need Sorry. to do this better. I'm like, if we want to make true like products, like we need to have a fast onset. It needs to be stable, like shelf, shelf stable, like where you put it in a bottle and then you never have to say shake well. And so he got to work. And literally like three months later, he came to me with this little vial, this time looking very much like Theranos. And uh, he's like, I think I solved it. And I, I remember I, it was, uh, I was hosting this like Founder Institute education session. I was coaching founders on pitching their companies. And, you know, without knowing it, he did the best pitch ever. He had the product in hand. He put it into a glass of water and he handed the glass of water to me. Mm. And it was clear and relatively flavorless. Mm. And I was just like, holy shit. Um, I don't know. I just remember I went total tunnel vision. Like everyone didn't like everyone could have left except for Harold. Yeah. Um, and I told him, I'm like, so, you know, by that time I had introduced him to, you know, several companies that I had been working with, like Grupo Floor, Somatic, you, you know, a number of them. And he said, these companies that you introduced me to, they've been very helpful. Um, but all they want to do is acquire me or hire me. And I'm like, is that what you want? Or do you want to start a company? And he, he said, I want to start a company. And so I, okay, well, it sounds like you have a bunch of sharks circling you, so don't make any business decisions without talking to me first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so at that time, that was January of last year, I became an advisor to uh, what was then Nanogen Labs. Um, and we just got to work. And we had a bit of refining to do on the product. Um, he was working with, with Somatic, which was, you know, they care a lot about the quality of their product, the flavor, everything, everything matters. to Which was the company them. you incubated. So yeah, it was just close this, to them. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, helping them make a better product. I'm like, I'm all for this. Um, and then July hit, uh, and in California, that's when like the new regs really got put into place. And I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, but it was just a massive calling, um, you know, products being taken 80% off the shelf. of brands yeah. went away. Yeah. In and it was 2018. Yeah. It was because it was because people, we're using bad technology, right? The, the, the potency wasn't homogenous. They were instable. Um, and so these were on top of clarity and flavor and all this kind of stuff. All of a sudden we're like, all right, we have to worry about stability, compatibility, um, you know, various manufacturing processes, pasteurization processes, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, well beyond the knowledge of just Harold and myself. Um, but we just kept pushing and, you know, really we things really start you know getting going when we realized not only could we make a great tasting product that acted fast um but that we could actually throw it in a bottle and have it be completely stable Mm -hmm. right um and not just stable as in like the cannabinoids stay in there because some people do have that problem um but stable from a point where you could take a sample from the top the bottom or the middle 
and it's going to be a direct representative of the total potency of that product. Because historically, it sticks to the side of the can. It's like it a, floats at the top yeah. or bottom. You know, yeah. it, and th those are unstable emulsions, yeah. right? Or yeah. or systems. And so, you know, that's where having his knowledge be the core of our business is, is super powerful, right? Mm -hmm. We and, and and what's also important to know is that every matrix, like every ingredient panel, like every container, every pasteurization process is a different environment and requires different needs of the system. And so understanding how to manipulate it is super important. So handing things off to people to figure it out for themselves when they don't have like a surface chemistry background, it's just a recipe for disaster. Yep. And we've encountered this like time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. Like even people in the industry who like vertically integrated operators who have all the resources to kind of throw at this, like still running into problems, except unfortunately for them, they have the resources to waste a hundred thousand right. dollars on to you know, keep two going. different patents yeah. or, yeah. you know, try a different service provider or what have you. And it's, um, I think that was the big challenge for us, uh, coming in is, you know, they had the mindset of, I just want to acquire this. I want to own this. And we came in with the mindset. It's like, no, we're going to change the industry and we are going to make this better for everyone. Well, I think it's fascinating. All the MSOs and vertically integrated players that have raised all this money, they're ignoring what I think is one of the fundamentals of modern business, which is specialization. Yep. I mean, I know that in the cannabis industry, partly because regulation and partly because of this massive just land grab, everybody's like vertically integrated, vertically integrated. Yeah. And in the early days, those are the only people that can keep supply on the shelves, right? right? It's just those that have the supply chain intact. But if you look at any other industry, like just think about your phone. Yep. You have individual apps for yeah. things that you need, right? If If... Uber and Facebook and Instagram were all in the same place. It would be like the worst experience possible, you know, right. and, and that's sort of the, a, a good analogy, I think. So I think you have one of the best examples of sort of the picks and shovels, Levi Strauss <laughs> model to the green rush that is cannabis. Is that something that you thought of consciously or you just sort of fell into this good idea? No, I mean, I, there are, there are parts of the industry that I became very focused on as we were building out Gateway. Um, when I was raising my last fund, which I cut short because of, of Harold, um, mm -hmm. it was under the thesis that I'm going to invest in kind of the boring B2B companies that are actually going to allow this industry to scale mm -hmm. because everyone driving towards vertical integration isn't going to allow all these companies with pitch decks to achieve their billion dollar valuations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's going to do that is creating a platform that these companies can build on, build on and scale on. Right. And so, you know, pair that with me being like just a startup practitioner that believes in focus, right? Like you just had a uh, Narbe on from, from Canopy Rivers. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, which is kind of contradictory to what you might think of, of Canopy growth, but yep. he believes that like, you know, focusing on on just a single value proposition is super important for scaling. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Mm -hmm. You know, by us hiring a team of PhDs to focus purely on the interaction of oil and water, like that makes us very valuable in that realm. You know, we can do it at scale, which allows us to drive down costs and allows us to work with just about anyone um, and make it cheaper for them to just work with us instead of having to try to do that, do it themselves. I think you just described maybe the easiest way to understand the difference between venture capital and private equity too, mm -hmm. right? Like venture capital is largely a specialized bet. Yep. Right. And yep. private equity is like this business is working as a whole. 
Yeah. Let me put some money in and get a real return here. That's right. That's right. Not as big yeah. of a bet. I think that's important for people to understand because in cannabis, VC and PE, they get mixed together yeah. all the time. Well, and like, you know, I, it's like I, I wanted, you know, the old gateway me is going to come out for a second. Like I want to do a call to action to the founders in the space and, and like just fucking focus for, for one year. Mm-hmm. One year. It's all it takes to like really make a difference. Like we set out when we first started, um, we're like, we are going to make the supply chain easier to navigate for brands. Like we are going to cut the supply chain in half. We'll procure the oil. We'll decide what's good. We'll put it into a medium that is much easier to use. And then you can just come in and think of us as an active ingredient. Mm -hmm. It's like you buy us just the same as you'll buy sugar. Except you can tell us where you want that to come from. Like, you you know, we can work with companies like, like chemistry, which is, which I'm on the board of, right? You can, get a full spectrum, you know, sun-grown extraction and put it into this beautiful new, you know, technology that allows it to be consumed as a beverage, mm-hmm. right? Um, or, you know, if you so wish, if you're a big, like, international player, like, you want to just get CBD, you want to put CBD on your label, we can get a CBD isolate out of, out of Colorado and put that into a beverage as well. Mm-hmm. So providing that flexibility to our customers you know, just focusing on the vehicle. We're not trying to own like the grow or own the extraction. That, that's not our prerogative, right? And this just allows us to kind of be very kind of open source and work with everyone. So, you know, our best friends now are our co-packers, flavor houses, dealkalization plants, oil providers. Um, and it's great, given us this great platform where, you know, we interact with a brand and all of a sudden we're this huge knowledge source for them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a big part of modern business too, I think. Like people yeah. want to call everybody a partner. That's right. Not like a customer or a client. And hopefully yeah. that means you learn it's, from it's, each just, other. it's just whether they mean it or not. Whether right? they mean like, it or not. Yeah, I'm sure I, I don't want to call out any names because a lot of like the people that we were kind of competing against in the beginning are now our customers. Ah. And and it, it goes to like that dedic- back to that dedication for a year, which I don't think I closed my thought on. It's just like we came in and our business model was not congruent with the players that we wanted to be playing with, right? You know, Group of Floor, Canacraft, Caliva, these companies, they're used to owning the whole supply chain. And like, it was a, it was a kind of a mental shift when I said, well, we're a bulk ingredient provider, um, but we can find a way to work with you. You're just not going to own us. And they don't want to hear that. Like every call that I used to have used to end in acquisition, but mm-hmm. we just... You know, we stuck with it and we proved out our value. Uh, and, you know, in less than a year, the, these vertically integrated operators are are seeing the light. Like, oh, yeah, this is hard. And it is it does make sense to just think of you as a partner mm-hmm. and work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they don't. I mean, frankly, here's the cocky side, right? Like the, the, the smaller players, the people we are working with are just going to create better products. Yep. And hopefully that's going to matter. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm still optimistic about the fact that the good brands are going to rise to the top and maybe they're going to be acquired. Maybe they're going to raise enough money, whatever, but you are going to have quality cannabis legally. I can't, I don't think we can say that today yet, but it's coming. I am optimistic. It's coming. It's, uh, you know, the, the market is developing so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the fact that these lounges in, in West Hollywood are Mm -hmm. coming online, Mm -hmm. like going to 
give a real consumer experience. Have you been there yet? Have you been to like Lowell's place or anything? No. Yeah. It, did it actually open now? Is it? I think it's open. Yeah. 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 And it, it's, it's challenging, right? Like the, the, the regulations are, are still very complicated. Mm-hmm. I think there's still quite a bit of lobbying that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but the focus on the consumer experience is what will take us to the promised land. Got right? it. Um, I had someone reach out to me from one of these lounges recently and they're like, oh, we're looking for like a good wine. And I'm like, well, I can give you one or two right now, but I'll tell you one thing. If you wait a month, I'm going to give you a whole wine list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, that is cool, yeah. right? Because uh, when, when you're looking in beverages in particular, I'm very passionate about beverages, which I'm happy to explain why. Um, but like, it's all about the consumer experience. And in a, in a consumer experience starts with, when you see the ad, when you walk into the store, when you pick the product, when you open the product, when you consume the product, what happens when you're done, right? Like this is all important, not just what's inside the bottle. Mm-hmm. And so having one brand with three SKUs on a glass case, like 12 feet off the ground in a dispensary. Yeah. It's not going to create the hottest market. It's going to obviously be less than 1% of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you actually have a beverage fridge where you can go in and you pick up a six pack of your favorite type of beer and then all of a sudden you get to experiment. It's like, oh, I'm going to grab this 22 of something with like, you know, a cool label. Mm-hmm. Like that's the beverage experience or going to a lounge and being able to order a bottle of wine and they bring it out and you get to share it with like four of your friends. Mm-hmm. Like that's the experience. And, and that's what we're starting to get to now. Like co-packers are coming online, driving down the prices. Distribution is going to get it figured out at some point. It's a lot different delivering a six pack of beer versus 120 carts. You know, um, so uh, it's an evolution, but uh, we're, we're getting there. I've yet to have a cannabis wine that I like. Uh, I'll bring you one. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. changing. I was hoping that's what you were going to say. Yeah, yeah. I might have one in the car. Okay. <laughs> so this proprietary process, this nano emulsion, how costly or labor intensive is it? Um, it's not super labor intensive, right? I can do, or not I, my team. (laughs) Uh, My team can probably do a manufacturing run for any given cannabis client, with the exception of some of the larger ones, in a matter of hours, Mm -hmm. right? Got it. Um, It's the complexity of knowing how to run the machines, of having the right materials. Um, It's all that layered in knowledge, Mm -hmm. right? but, you know, we work with some very big clients, you know, a, a medium sized cannabis company um, might use like a third of a kilogram of, of oil. Right. Um, because a little goes a long way in a low dose beverage. Mm-hmm. We're putting like five milligrams into like a single unit. It's a lot different than a, a gram cart. Right. Yep. Um, so from an, an economic standpoint, yeah, clearly it's not going to use a ton of material. Um, but on the on the hemp side of the business, which we do have, uh, you know, you have companies that are doing manufacturing runs that are three kilograms, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That's just a completely different scale. Yeah. And so that is what we're building our capacity to. And so when we get approached by like a cannabis wine company or, or coffee company, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll squeeze you in. No got big it. deal. Yeah. You'll have your product in a week. Yeah. Got yeah. it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Um, we get to do a lot of taste testing, too. <laughs> That's a rough job. Um, <laughs> I have the worst job in the world. The worst, man. The worst. <laughs> Your last one sucked, too. Yeah, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I have a, a little masochistic streak. 
That's why you're a founder, right? That's <laughs> that's how it works. You have to hate yourself a little bit. That's otherwise. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we have new onset times as a result of this mm-hmm. proprietary product. How quickly should it hit you? Um, how quickly should it hit you? That That is a good question. We like to quote 10 to 15 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, but I also like to under-promise and over-deliver. Um, I was at a conference this past week, and I had a group of people around me that were uh, testing it on their stopwatch, and they all started pressing the button about two, two and a half minutes wow. after they consumed. Wow. Um, but it's not just the onset, right? I have heavy consumers that come to my office every day, and we're doing taste testing. And they'll be like, you know, like small taste testing. Like we're dividing up like part, a partial like dose. Um, and even in those sessions, you'll have a heavy consumer be like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling it. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting because you probably consumed about a milligram worth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And that's just kind of like mind-blowing. Yeah. Right? Um, so it's like, and this gets into why I do believe beverage is kind of like the future. Um not only that, like, leave alone the whole, like, historical thing about humans and beverages, right? Like, our entire human culture has been built around beverages. Um, you know, one of my favorite books before, long before I even launched Gateway uh, was The History of the World in Six Glasses. And it kind of contextualizes everything in, the, in human development around beverage. And so, like, you're talking, like, coffee, tea, wine, spirits, you know, soda. And so, like, when I started thinking about the future of cannabis, I'm like, Yep, the seventh glass. Mm -hmm. And because, like, going back to what I was saying earlier, kind of marrying that, like, uh, what the consumer is expecting to experience with the kind of social nature of cannabis and kind of being able to control your dose. Like, it is that kind of holy grail, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Not to mention the way that the cannabinoids are being absorbed. Like, it's just creating this very kind of social, controllable high. and how would you describe the difference in that high from an edible or smoking? What, what's the sure. feedback like? Um, you know, I think it's, I, I like to explain it as being very like cerebral. Like you, you start feeling this uplifting effect. You, you kind of feel those, like those happy psychosomatic uh, effects where it's like the pinching of the eyes, the, the, the raising the, the brow, the kind of um, uncontrollable smile, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. about hunger? Um, uh, you know, the hunger, it honestly, largely depends on the strain, uh-huh. um, you know, and this is also an interesting component, like, because you're absorbing the, the compounds into the bloodstream without it having to go through your liver. Right. And so you're getting more of those complexities of the strain, which is why we like to work with companies like chemistry. Um, you know, it's like these, uh, these kind of full expressions of the plant, like being able to show variants in, in, in an edible form, right? That was, that was the big, like, um, big challenge with edibles is that, oh, whether you're using this strain or that strain, it's probably just going to make you super hungry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and we're not seeing that with the beverages, mm-hmm. right? Like you can get hungry, like sure. that's a natural like side effect of weed. Um, but like if you are using a strain that has high THCV and it's like kind of got this like quote unquote sativa effect, mm-hmm. like that's what you're going to get when you, when you drink it. And are these strain-specific emulsions typically, or are they blends? Um, so what we've been largely commercializing to date is either high-potency THC or high-potency CBD, right? This has just been kind of like the stepping stone. 
Um, we are starting to have customers come in and be like, you know, I want strain specific. So we work with Tinley and um, they like they like the pineapple jack strain. And so our goal is to make that as scalable as possible so that when they partner with us in another state or country, uh, foreshadowing the future here. Um, Not that, that far in the future. No, no. Um, but like we want to be able to recreate that without having to rely on, you know, a pineapple jack from a certain farmer. Um, because as you know, whether it's named one thing or the next, like it can change depending on where you grow totally. or who grows yeah. it. Right. So we're focusing on the cannabinoid profiles, um, which we do believe is the future. I think we will reach a future state where we do have individualized cannabinoids that we can reconstruct into mm -hmm. these special formulas. And that's what we're pushing our clients to specialize on. It's like, you tell us the cannabinoid profile you want. You tell us the terpene profile that you want. We'll help you get that on a consistent basis into your product. So it's all customized or bespoke, to use a, a cool word. Yeah. But um, very bespoke. <laughs> so a client comes to you yeah. and they say, "This is the sort of product we want to make," and everything you do is in conjunction with them. And there's no like skew that you say, "Here it is." We have zero skews. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, going back to even the very beginning, that initial vial that that Harold showed me, that's one of like three hundred you know, different combinations yeah. of solutions we have. Yeah. When we first start, we actually have like eight different emulsion systems that we could choose depending on what the customer wants to deliver to their consumer. And if they aren't thinking in that way, you know, startup Ben forces them to. Yeah. It's like, what are you trying to deliver to your consumer? Mm -hmm. And like, if you're really just trying to put CBD on your label, we'll still work with you. Um, we'll take your money, but like, I am definitely <laughs> judging you. Yeah. 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 Um, so you brought up hemp. Yep. It's exploding. We're going to see it everywhere. We are seeing it everywhere. I mean, when it's in Sephora, <laughs> you know that Dude, it's... Dude, I, I saw it at DSW, which yeah, I'm like, Jesus. shoes what? and CBD. How? What, what, what were they doing? <laughs> oh, they had some like bombs and like foot lotions, and which is interesting. I mean, they could see it be... I don't know. <laughs> so I guess a couple questions. One is... Did you see that coming? Like, no. A big part of your business is hemp, right? Like, is that, you thought you were going to be a THC provider. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so two sides of this answer. If you asked me or when people asked me last December, pre-farm bill, um, I was like, eh, it's interesting. We might do it, but like. We're really focused on cannabis. Mm -hmm. We believe in cannabis. I'm here. I've been investing in the space. Like this is the market that we're betting on. Um, my answer definitely changed by January. Yeah. Uh, we started getting a lot of interest. Even our cannabis companies were asking us and at the heart of it, you know, we are a cannabis company, right? Hemp is the same effing plant mm -hmm. and like if you want to see advocate me like kind of really come out like let's talk about that conversation we were just talking about this like amalgamation of cannabinoids like in an organic plant and mm -hmm. that the government has like drawn a line on yeah um you know they've done the same thing with quote unquote nano right like nano is anything below 100 nanometers mm -hmm. what does that mean for our solutions that are 120 nanometers mm. right like uh in the UK, they have certain rules like around novel foods for anything under 100 nanometers. So I'm like, fine, we'll just do 120 nanometers. Mm -hmm. Like, what is the difference? Yep. Like, like, 
people need to get a lot more scientific in how they classify things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, humans just naturally are really good at dropping things into buckets. Yeah. And so when, when we decided to start approaching this, like we, 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 we very much asked ourselves like, Oh, are you going to be a hemp company? Or are you going to be a cannabis company? I'm like, yeah, we're a cannabis company. We just happen to like be masochistic and like operate in both regions and understand the regulations on both sides and the supply chains on both sides. And someday skating to the puck where people in general do realize it's the same plant. It is the same plant, but I have to say anecdotally, I don't have any data based <laughs> on this. CBD that comes from hemp is much less effective for me than mm -hmm. CBD that comes from cannabis. Are you talking about CBD isolates from cannabis or CBD that has like a milligram of THC with it? Well, certainly the entourage effect is really important, mm -hmm. but even things that are just strictly CBD from cannabis, I find more potent, more effective for me. Sure. My, my, my question then becomes is like, what is the true efficacy of the product that you're consuming? Mm -hmm. um, the hemp market is far less regulated than the cannabis market. Yeah. Um, we've called into question CFAs that we've received on certain materials, uh, even certifications. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't even know this was a thing, but like, we found a hemp provider, I'm not going to name names, uh, lying about their kosher certification. <laughs> like, I literally, <laughs> I literally had a ra rabbi. Why? Well, because we're kosher certified, okay. right? And I had a rabbi tell me, he's like, that product is not in my system. And I'm like, well, shit. This is a very cool rabbi. This yeah. guy goes around and certifies cannabis companies yeah. for being kosher? Yeah. yeah. How do it's, I get that job? It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about jobs that I'd hate to have. No. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a really cool rabbi. I never thought I'd say this. You know, I, I never thought I'd be in this position, but it's just like... Um, you know, it, it's, I would argue that the hemp industry is more complicated to operate in than the cannabis industry. And yeah, it's, well, it's a little newer, too. Right? It's I newer, mean, and it's yeah. just so darn hot, and everyone's just trying to make a buck. Like, we've taken so many products off the shelves, have, ha, had them, like, lab tested, and just, like, zero cannabinoids in them. So, according to you, and by the way, I asked Chris of Level this mm -hmm. couple weeks ago, who's yeah, like the preeminent mind in cannabis, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Paul's up there, too, of chemistry. But um, I asked him, you know, the same question. And he said, well, look, if it's done well, extracting CBD from either should be exactly the same thing. It's, it's, a, chemical, it's a chemical compound. Yeah. Right? So, what you're saying, and this makes good sense, is that there's just a lot of shitty hemp CBD products out there. And that's why I'm not feeling the there's a ton. There's a yeah. ton. And it's like, like even brands that I respect and like, and I know they're starting with the right things, but they're like the, the manufacturing process, the, the packaging, like it all matters. And if you're, if you're not like hell bent on delivering a good efficacious product to, to the end consumer, which many people aren't when they're just capitalists, like then it's, it, I, I don't know. It, it's very short sighted, right? Mm -hmm. You know that, yes, the hemp market is super hot right now, but it is in danger of, of you know, wrecking itself, mm -hmm. right? Like if you have all these bad players releasing bad products to a market, the end consumer is going to lose trust yep. and they're going to stop buying it, right? And, and then there's going to be this learning process where the, the people that know it work are going to have to fight for it. And so we're going to see this kind of like this, this, a much much more unpredictable growth curve for, for the hemp side of the market mm -hmm. in comparison to cannabis. Cannabis, we know who the enemies are. We know where the hurdles are, and we're just kind of on this slow growth. Well, 
I mean, it's quickly growing, but it still feels like slow growth, like methodical process. So I have to say, I saw the hemp movement coming, Mm -hmm. but didn't think about it directly in relation to CBD. You know, everybody told me forever there's 1,500 end uses of hemp, clothes and whatever else and Mm -hmm. all the, make the batteries in your phone or some nonsense like that. I didn't necessarily think like, because I was so familiar with CBD from cannabis that I didn't think about sort of that explosion. Um, Yeah, it's really gotten out of control. (laughs) I mean, really, it's gotten out of control. And I have the same fear you do, is that consumers go into a store, they buy something, a topical Mm -hmm. that doesn't work as well as Icy Hot, to be frank, and they have a bad experience, and then they don't tell their parents, they don't tell anybody, and they just forget about it, right? Like, that was snake oil, didn't work. The, the the one saving grace is is this point in time of which we live, right? Like knowledge and truth spread very quickly. Mm-hmm. So do lies, unfortunately. But you know, <laughs> when it comes to consumer products, like consumers are not going to put up with that, right. right? If they if they have a product that doesn't work, they're not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. If if word got, gets out like that, this you know product over here works really well, that's going to catch on, you know white claw right like the 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 miracle that is white claw like it's a it's a hard seltzer that's just flying off the shelves mm-hmm. like they have great marketing but like people love it mm-hmm. word got out mm-hmm. it wasn't some massive like marketing campaign yep right so same thing with cbd like we know that certain products out there are working really well and and word is getting out mm-hmm. and so like as soon as we you know i, I think like the direct to consumer play for for hemp products is is super powerful uh, we're seeing a lot of people focusing on that, mm-hmm. um, especially with like how tumultuous the the retail markets are. Mm-hmm. You know, until the FDA makes a ruling, like, I mean, the game really hasn't even started. Totally. Yeah. What percentage of your revenue mix is CBD or hemp versus cannabis? Uh, from a revenue standpoint, I'd probably say eighty percent on the hemp side, mm. and that's just sheer production volume distribution and that's made up of how many clients or partners well from a from a ratio standpoint i'd say about 50 50 on hemp Got versus it. cannabis um number of clients you know we have probably uh about 30 in production um with another 50 in the pipeline mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um We've been very busy. Very busy. Yeah, scaling the team rather quickly, trying to keep our heads on straight. Luckily, we're hyper-focused. You know, we haven't stepped outside the realm of manufacturing these these beautiful ingredients, right? Mm-hmm. Um, How many people today? Today? Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. <laughs> Was Tomorrow? <a> different answer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we, we hired uh, four people in the last four weeks. Yeah. So um, all that growth is not cheap. No, um, no, let's not. talk a little bit about fundraising, which we talked about earlier. You have a great background in. Sure. Yeah. Is that made it easier? Yes. Yeah. No, I'm very fortunate. You know, when people talk about my friends and family around, you know, it just happens that a lot of my friends, you know, run funds. Mm-hmm. You know, we had one institution come in in our first friends and family round. Everyone else else just like people that we, we knew. Mm-hmm. And we were got it done in like three weeks. Yeah. Um, That's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, like, I I know I'm fortunate, but you know, this was a calculated risk, right? Like I wasn't going to start a company unless I knew it was a good company to create. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think most people on the outside don't realize that the great startups, they don't get created and then funded. Right. It's kind of like the same 
process. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're going to people that would inevitably give you money. Like they say, you know, ask for advice, you get money. Ask for money, you get advice. Yep. Right. Yep. And like if you're going to someone that their job is to deploy capital and saying, do you like this? <laughs> well, if they don't like it, you yeah. probably shouldn't do it. Right. 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 And yeah. if they like it, well, then you've also just raised the money at the yeah. same time. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, for, for me, it goes back to like advice that I've given a lot of startups and that it's you're always fundraising. Yeah. You're always fundraising. Mm-hmm. I'm like you always should be networking with investors, getting them excited about you and what you're working on, mm-hmm. uh, but mostly you. So that when you do have to call them and ask them for money, that it's like an automatic interested. Mm-hmm. At least you can get them interested just purely on the relationship alone. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when it came time for me to launch this company, clearly I had also been kind of evaluating the space from an investment perspective for, for years. Um, but it was just like, it was natural. And I'm like, I'm like this is it. Like, you know, I've, I've and, and I could honestly say this. I'm like, I've looked at like 10 different technologies and mm-hmm. this is the one I'm willing to bet my career on. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty powerful pitch. That's powerful. I, you know, you don't need a pitch deck when you just. Yeah, th- I've been involved that. with 15 companies <laughs> and this is the thing. Yeah. This is the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that networking, public speaking, relationship building is a skill that you have mastered. Thank Honestly, you. like more than anybody else that I see <laughs> founders even. And, and I think the mistake that founders make in that process is you speak at conferences, you write things, you go on a lot of shows, you're interviewed a lot, even when you're not, you don't have something directly to sell. Mm-hmm. And I think most founders, they use these public speaking or publicity opportunities too much like sales. Yeah. And then it becomes inauthentic. And yeah. I've seen you fly to Germany and do a talk on cannabis <laughs> yeah. when you're not raising money, when you don't even have a company you're pitching. And like, that's just creating this brand value of Ben that I think most people don't fully understand. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to do the time ROI, mm-hmm. right? But like for me, and this gets more into what my true passion is, right? Like I am, I am truly passionate about helping people, realize their dreams, right? That's why I love working with Harold. Cause like, this was his idea. I thought it was a great idea. Like I maybe thought something similar, mm-hmm. but it's like, this is about helping him realize his dream. Mm-hmm. When I work with our customers, it is about helping them realize their products, mm-hmm. right? And so all of this put together is me helping this ecosystem, this this community, this great industry that we're working with, like realize itself, right? We are trying to make this a mainstream industry that is ubiquitous with humans, human society, right? There's so many different realms that the cannabis industry can play in and people need to see it. Like in Germany, within the last year, like, you know, everyone thought that, that cannabis was relegated to the Rastafarians mm-hmm. and the stoners. Like that's not, I mean, like that, that is truth. Right? Like I, I sat in, in a room of thousand people in Germany and it was just dead silent. And for the first time, like they were hearing about the medical applications and they were, because I had them on slides, seeing the, the sick children, you know, like mm-hmm. Charlotte Figgy, uh, you know, made Charlotte's web famous, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's like people were brought to tears. Right. And, and this is a long-term investment in my companies that I work with being successful. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I do it. And, and I also just really care. Like I, I entered the cannabis industry passionate about helping founders. And I realized I was super passionate about this plant and super passionate about 
like how it infuriated me about like what the government does and says and how it controls like our 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 reality mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so all of that is is what i get to use my professional career to fight against it's really cool the emotional aspect of it is something founders don't use enough either right emotions work on people especially yeah. investors they yeah. don't they don't know what to look for they do their due diligence but they don't really know it's emotional that's right it's emotional um very cool. Doing big things, man. <laughs> Thank you. You've come man, a long way, only in like in a year, too. Like, yeah. When did, when yeah, did you start this company? Uh, about a year ago. Yeah. So August 2nd was when we officially incorporated. Yeah. I actually officially joined as, as CEO September 5th. Um, and so here we are in September, yeah. a year later. Uh, we have a company of 12 people. Uh, we raised a million and a half to date. And yeah. This week, we're, we're closing on a $6 million raise. So you did the, the first million and a half in three weeks or whatever, or was that in a couple tranches? The first 500, 550 technically, uh, was in about three weeks. At that time, when I was raising that money, I told the investors, I'm like, this is to build the engine, get things going, test the market, and really understand what we have. I'm going to raise more money in Q2 of 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, Q2 of 2019 comes along, and... You know, we had gotten traction with some really like mainstream CPGs, um, you know, top like coconut water companies, kombucha companies, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I just really realized that the opportunity was bigger than I had realized. Um, and so at that time, you know, Harold and I talked, we're like, let's do a bigger raise. Uh, let's do a priced round. Um, you know, I think, you know, bringing in another million dollars that'll kind of a, a medium valuation will allow us to have the runway we need to really have those conversations and and identify the the right investors to be involved in this round uh, which is super important to me you know when I bring on investors they're like my teammates mm -hmm. right the, those first you know those first 15 like backers of our company are people that I work with that I text message every day that I like you know I constantly leveraging their networks uh, and being top of mind for them right mm -hmm. Uh, so I want the same thing out of our next round, except even more so. Like yeah. I, I want them to be in my board meetings. I want them to be leveraging their networks because, you know, we're running hard and fast, and I want like I want my blind spots checked. Mm -hmm. I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just good at building a team, right? So yeah. uh, that's been the focus. And so, like I said, we're doing a price round of of six million dollars. Um, and there's been a lot of excitement about it. How much of that is committed so far to the six? Six. Oh, you're you're done. I'm done. Got yeah. it. It's just you know, uh, papering it, Got all it. that kind of stuff. By Got the it. time this is released, it'll be done. And the partners <laughs> that you chose, you said you were looking for very strategic. Yeah. Partners. What do they bring to you? Yeah. So, uh, well, you know, comfortable saying this. So leading the round is is AFI uh, Capital Partners uh -huh. um, and Wellcam. Yeah. So both who have been on the show before, yeah, if you want to go East back coast, West listen. coast, yeah. um, young GPs that really do the legwork. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I kind of look them, look at them as my peers. Um, so I really like the, the dynamic, mm -hmm. uh, Chi, uh, comes from CPG, right? I actually met him down at Expo West, uh, this year. Mm -hmm. And he was the guy that like was invited to every party. He knew all the founders of all the hot, you know, CPG startups, and that's super important. Like the the con sorry consumer packaged goods, uh, the CPG industry. It's it's the old network, right? It's all about who you know. There's definitely a class system. It's bizarre. Mm -hmm. um, but you know you can game it, right? A 
by knowing someone that knows everyone and B by being a cool company in a cool space, cannabis, right? So that's part of it. The other side is Nico Richardson, uh, from uh, formerly a privateer. Mm -hmm. And I met Nico like four years ago when I was, uh, when we hosted the elevate conference Mm -hmm. and I put him on stage to talk about investments because privateer was like the biggest thing happening in cannabis. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, it was super important for me to have those guys, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the marriage of cannabis and CPG and you know, they're just very sharp, energetic guys. So yep. super excited to have them on board. Uh, we also have representatives from, from big Bev, um, you know, Gallo experience, constellation experience, that kind of stuff. Um, we have CPG investors, uh, Pat Finn from Finn capital, you know, like access to like, again, the hot, like CPG startups that mm-hmm. are kind of bridging the gap between mainstream and cannabis. Yep. You know, it's, it's, it's super exciting for us. So, And with this $6 million, what can you achieve? Well, uh, quite a bit. I mean, you know, my, my goal as a founder is always to have a sustainable business model at the core, right? So we have revenue coming in. If we ever need to cinch the belt, we could survive on our revenue. Um, but I'm also growth-minded and, and, you know, I understand venture capital. So... It's to grow and scale, and it's to take this concept of, of being a platform more than just a bulk ingredient and really executing on that. And so we already have conversations started in multiple regions around the world, um, really kind of exploring what it is to uh, understand shipping and production and, and creating consistent products in, in every region. Um, not only that, but using the power of our network to help brands accelerate their growth, mm-hmm. right? So like having the distribution and retail networks in, in various regions, um, being able to host events where we really highlight the opportunity with these new products, um, at new West summit in, in early October. Yeah. I heard you're doing um, something cool there, right? Yeah. Well, first we're going to have a panel with, with great, uh, beverage minds, just talking about the new category, how it's not like a typical edible. Mm -hmm. Um, but also this full, uh, immersive experience throughout the entire conference where you can hang out at a bar or in a VIP lounge that is all cannabis beverage. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just kind of be intermingled with everything that's happening at the conference. So if you just want to pop in for just a, a quick little beverage, take the edge off, you can do that. If you want to hang out there all day, by all means, you know, have at it. Yeah. Um, but we'll be we'll be highlighting some of the some of the brands that we're working with, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of really talking about the technology and experience. And we don't really need to talk about it. It's one of those things where it's like the product speaks for itself. Yeah. You just try it. It's great. That's right. Yeah. Um, we talk about conferences generally for a second. You've been to every weed conference there is. <laughs> I finally. I, that's. I mean, that's that's hard to claim considering a new one pops up every week. But you know, as far as I can see, you're there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I officially have no more FOMO. Yeah. For weed conferences, yeah. I went to all of them. They're great. If you have a specific purpose, it's great. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a little tired out of them. This this week is the second Hall of Flowers of the year. Yeah. Which I thought was a little oversaturation. I'm not allergic to making money. I understand, but yep. I thought it was a little much. Are you getting a lot of value out of these conferences still? Um, I approach conferences very different than most people, right? I am going to be at Hall of Flowers uh, this afternoon. Mm -hmm. I didn't go yesterday. Um, But it's because I have five press interviews. Mm -hmm. It's 
they're everyone's congregating. Yeah. And so what you have to realize is that you get a high concentration of people at conferences, right? And so you need to go like when you when you target a conference, like there needs to be a very specific objective. If you're going to like peruse the booths and see what's going on, like go to MJ BizCon once a year. You know, do a, a five-hour lap of the booths. Like you'll get a good idea of what's going on in the industry, or at least in vape carts, um, <laughs> and extraction, extraction yeah, technology. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I love Kiss, Kiss, Cassandra Farrington, but like it's like it's a lot of that, right? Um, so you know, I I'm yeah, I am fatigued on parties and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But what I do is go and try to be valuable, mm-hmm. and and so you know, with Hall of Flowers, it's like yeah, there's gonna be a bunch of press there, so I'm gonna go talk to them. I'll meet with a couple people, but largely like uh, my introverted self is just going to get back in the car and, and head back down to the bay. Um, Which is really interesting because when I did meet you, you were much more introverted. You've really grown in that way, I think. Well, no, I'm the same person. I just know how to play my part better. Either way, <laughs> from an outside perspective, yeah. it appears that you've become much more comfortable with yourself. I am. I, 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 you know, I, I, have, I have a lot to say. And I've always, uh, many introverted people actually have a lot to say. They just Very true. don't yeah. often say it. I'm just a lot more confident in saying it now. Like, you know, I could give a fuck, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's valuable. You know, I, I, what I've been told over and over again is people want to hear what I have to say. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I like going to conference like most recently, most recent one before this was Females to the Front. And so that's a, an initiative I believe in wholeheartedly, um, you know, not just from a lip service standpoint, but it's. Um, I grew up around women and I think it's really important to support them. You know, my, my mom as a, as a, as a role in my family, uh, you know, my dad wears pants, but she definitely, you know, wears some pants in the family. (laughs) Right. Um, so to speak. Uh, so it's like to continue to promote that in life and just understand that I know it's healthy. Right. Um, and to be able to go there and just, uh, have it be valuable to like put it out there. It's like, I will talk to anyone this weekend about their business if that's what they want to do. And when they aren't, I'll be working. <laughs> and so I went and sat by the pool and worked on my computer for a bit, had a bunch of one-on-one conversations that were great. I did mentoring sessions. I, I gave a talk about fundraising. And this is all helpful for building them up in the community, for building the community in the way it's supposed to be built. And just like, oh yeah, it has the added benefit of, of our company being seen at this fantastic event. Sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's what I look like when I, or what I look for when I'm doing events. Uh, I've, I've spoken at some of these, you know, this litany of conferences. Um, sometimes I'm just curious as to whether it's a conference worth going to or not. Um, and some of them don't cross that threshold. So you won't see, see me back there. I think one of the interesting things is brands, uh, right now in the cannabis industry are really struggling to find any ROI from Mm -hmm. marketing. Um, they're spending money on billboards, big conference booths. Uh, what I mean, what else do people do? Music festivals. Yeah. And it's very hard, just knowing from working with our clients, like it's very hard to say we got this from that. Yeah. But you're a B2B company, which I just know anecdotally is a lot easier yeah. to connect and sell and have sort of a quantitative yep. metric to go on. That's right. How is it different for you in the campus industry? Advertising, sales, that that end of it. Yeah, you know, I mean, in any business that I've ever run, I haven't ever done classic advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, the number of times I've 
purchased a social media placement or print ad or anything like that, I could, I mean, total amount to less than probably a thousand dollars, right? Uh, what I do place value in is like getting in front of people, uh, my audience. And so when I look at taking interviews for media or doing podcasts, um, like I know the people that I want to get in front of are listening, right? Um, the reason I chose a B2B is because I know there's something very quantifiable about mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a customer this year that is already spending in six figures, right? So if I do the, the economics of participating in a conference or having a presence at a, at a big CPG conference, like, oh, you know, I, I get one whale and it more than pays for $50,000 of effort, right? Mm -hmm. Um, not that I'm huge into spending that much money at a conference, but you know, that, that those are the economics, yep. right? And it's like, oh, and if we build a really great company and we keep that customer for more than a year, you know, this is going to pay itself in spades, right? Well, yeah. One of the few metrics that crosses over from technology to canvas, which there aren't many, despite yeah. people really wanting that is the lifetime value versus cost of acquisition, yes. right? This is really clear yeah. and it's so hard to quantify both. Well, if the, you're a brand in the canvas so brands have it tough. Um, and I think everyone that's building a brand in this industry wants this industry to be in a place that it's not, um, where it's not, uh, the audience isn't huge, right? So your, your advertisers, magazine publishers, like they want to charge what normal magazines and advertisers get to charge, but it's a very different, like buy cycle and, and like audience size in the cannabis industry. So you have to be cognizant of that. Um, the other side is that, you know, customers in this industry are super fickle. And, and when I say customers, a lot of times I'm talking about retailers, mm -hmm, right? Like mm -hmm. I've heard so many times of like a retailer running out of product on their shelves and then just replacing it with whatever they had available in the back storeroom. Mm -hmm. Like that's terrible. Yep. Like from a re like from a, from like a self-interested retailer perspective, like if something is hot, you want as much of that product and as much of that product to have space as possible, yeah. right? Like that's a sophisticated way of thinking. So in the mainstream CPG markets, like when you're when you're a retailer and you have white claw that sorry, sorry to keep using that as an example, but if white claw gets wiped out, you're gonna call your distributor at two in the morning and be like, yeah. I need more fucking white claw, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I don't know what these retailers in the cannabis industry are thinking, but it's like if you're running out of product, get more of it. Like well, they're give more concerned more space. with who pays a shelving fee. Yeah, I mean that's just, near, just so it's nearsighted, right? Yeah. And and I think I think that is the biggest problem in the industry. Whether you're a retailer, whether you're a brand that's spending on advertising, you can't be short-sighted. Getting a little bump in sales now, yeah, sure, it might help you raise more money so that you can actually survive. But you need to know that's what you're paying for, mm -hmm. right? Like if you're paying, hoping that you're going to get all of this like spread, and then like you're going to capture the customer, and then they're, they're going to have a big LTV, like. You're, you're kidding yourself. Mm -hmm. You need to find a way to last, right? Like this is the long game and it still is. I know everyone thinks that this industry is moving at light speed. I can tell you, I've been here. It's not. Yeah. It's like things are like... The headlines are. Yeah, the headlines are going crazy yeah. and they're changing every three months. Yeah. And like, but like, you know, I've worked with a lot of brands and I've built companies in this space. Like it's, it's, it's a long play and, and... Business I, is a long play. Yeah, I'm, I'm not fast to do anything. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 sorry. I mean, like, I know we operate at very high speed and we grow fast. You're not like, hurrying. Yeah, I'm not hurrying. Yeah. Like, I've had not rushing. I've had investors and advisors asking me to launch like consumer products or or do something, 
you know, different for, for months now, a year, 12 months, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, it's like, yeah, we'll consider it at some point, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm building the best B2B company I can, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, I'm not in a hurry. I'm not worried about missing out. There's no missing out in this industry because no. like we haven't even really got, got started. And it's yet. not going anywhere. No. Yeah. No. And like, like I said, people are fickle, right? Yeah. Let someone else go test a market on something. Yeah. Like, and then we, we'll just come in and build a better product if that's what we really wanted to do. So your second cannabis endeavor, when did you get in, started in, in weed originally? 2015? 2015. Yeah. So yeah. we're about the same time. Yeah. Um, you've seen a lot of change. You've been around a lot of companies. How has your relationship with cannabis evolved? Oh, man. Um, I know yeah, you're not I, a big consumer, but no, I, 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 but I don't need to be right. No, like no one needs to be. It's no, I'm just saying like it, it, it that, that doesn't detract from my passion for the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> I'm going to sound like an, an, a father right now. I am you are a father. very, I am, but I'm very disappointed that us as a human population has like not investigated the power of this plant. Like not even scratch the surface. It's a huge disservice we've done to yeah. people. Yeah. And largely it's government, which I'm completely disenchanted with. And if you live in the US and you're not, like I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. Um <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh you get honest me. Um it's an increasingly smaller percentage of people that yeah. are idiots. Yeah. In air quotations. Right, yeah. air quotes. Yeah. Um But you know, I've just become like the sounding board for like everyone I know about like how they can incorporate cannabis into their life. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, it's a great place to be like to be that trusted advisor. Um, but it already like really pisses me off that I'm that person. Like people should be going to doctors and getting the advice that they need. Yeah. Right. Like my, my friends like who husband is dying from cancer. Like I shouldn't be the person that's giving the best advice. Like, I, I've my, my, my aunt had cancer. I had to like, you know, prescribe something to her. Um, you know, my, my second cousin had Tourette's like had to advice for that. Like friends with migraines, like help. Like, it's like, this is not advice that needs to be coming out of my mouth. I have a, I have a fucking business to run. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I don't like, I'm not saying that because like I sure as hell don't mind, but like, I do mind that like decisions have been made by, by politicians mm-hmm. and capitalists that has forced like this situation. And that's what really drives me. So what's your prediction? We're, are we gonna get federally legal? Are we gonna be decriminalized? Does 2020 election impact any of that? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the end game is, is federal legalization. Uh, there's a lot of conversations about how that's going to happen and what is the road to making it happen. I have been predicting that it's going to happen a lot sooner than expected. I think 2020 can very much play a role and, you know, from either side, right? Like we, I think you and I have talked about it offline. You know, I, I think Trump could go and do something crazy that just, you know, makes yeah, use it. it to try to pull in some young people. Yeah. Or, why the hell not? He I mean, that would be an awesome silver lining. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I, I hate to say it, it's already been a silver lining with from the cannabis industry uh, with having Trump at the helm. And I, he doesn't do shit about it. Doesn't talk about it. Do you think he knows what weed is? I'm not even sure. Like, I don't even know. Yeah. I, I, I can't pretend to understand yeah. him. 
All I know is that the advocacy movement hasn't slowed down at all. Yeah. And that we didn't get forced into a schedule too. Um, and that it's kind of preserved this opportunity for the states to do what the states do. And now we have a critical mass where if you try to put it into the wrong bucket, like there, people will fight against it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that existed four years ago. So it's kind of a, a gift and a curse, the states' rights thing, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Because, look, we live in California. Most people in California no longer are concerned about federal legalization of cannabis. Maybe if you own a business, that matters. Yeah. But just normal day, everyday consumers, it doesn't matter. And it's actually right. been that way in California for years and years yeah. where it hasn't mattered. 64 was kind of like this. If you're in well, the industry, it, it, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it depends on what societal group you're talking about, yeah. about it not mattering, right? That, that's, that's what I think can always resonate with the people who have become complacent. It's like, look, people are still in jail because of this. Like, mm-hmm. people are still being put in jail because mm-hmm. of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Like, until that ends, like, our job is not done, so stop sitting on your ass and get back to work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I agree with that sentiment. (laughs) Yelling is a part of a podcast. That's that's what we strive for. If you want to cry later, we appreciate that too. (laughs) Um, Okay. But I think that the state's rights and people that have fought so hard for the individual state legislations are actually a barrier to federal legalization because a lot of those people, unlike yourself, Mm -hmm. are saying, well, we have legal weed and like, it's not a big deal anymore. Yeah, I see that as a real impediment. Like the people that were really pushing for it already have it. Yeah, I mean the 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 one defense is, I you know, California is such a large market, and I hate to sound like a broken record on that one, but it's like if you have an entire state uh, that has a lot of well, theoretically a lot of pull. I don't know about anymore, but um, you know, acting like it's completely legal, figuring out banking, doing all that kind of stuff, uh, that will have positive repercussions mm-hmm. around the world mm-hmm. right there was there was a time when i used to travel and people used to say oh we're just waiting to see what california does mm-hmm. unfortunately even california can shoot itself in the foot yeah um but you know hell bent on on figuring it out and doing it right you know when we have a strong operating system that is actually like you know that is actually workable i think it will set a precedent of how this can be done around the world mm-hmm. is legal cannabis working in california no, no, it's not. We um, we still have a very strong black market. Sixty percent, eighty percent of sales. I can't get a clear number. But I can't get a, a clear number, but yeah. anything above fifty is <laughs> is a lot. Anything above like right. ten. Think yeah. about any other industry. Like, yeah, crazy. and we need we need to get people into the legal market, mm-hmm. but we need to make it workable, right? Like I see way too many companies trying to follow follow the book. Um, and it's impossible to make a profit mm-hmm, right now, mm-hmm. especially when you're trying to figure out how to get customer traction and, and figure out taxes. Like even MBAs can't figure out how to like get right. this tax system right. Right. right? And so in, unless we actually make it easy to run a business, um, which I mean, let's, let's be honest, California has historically made it very hard to just make period run yeah. businesses yeah. in general. Um, you know, it, it's going to continue to kind of be very, very complicated. Right. And do you think this is some organized conspiracy to keep cannabis small? Or is it just that a lot of interest came into play and the compromise is this system? Yeah, I mean, compromising in general is pretty crazy bad situations. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But that's mostly how politics are done. It is, which is why we're always in a bad politics position with politics <laughs> um but we you know also don't want to be in a dictatorship so right, you know right whatever um yeah i mean i don't know I, I i think we will get there uh it takes time mm-hmm. and when the world's healthier and more peaceful because people are consuming cannabis on some level maybe we'll realize it's it's not so bad and we don't have to be so controlled about things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know like just like stupid rules like Oh, we have to put cannabis-infused beverage in a, an opaque bottle. It's like, why? Like, are we afraid how high someone's going to get if they see the if liquid see it, in a yeah. side, inside a bottle? It's like be too tempting. Like, it's like, yeah. oh, that looks like fluid. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Never what are had we afraid about? Before. Like, and it's like, you know, and, and and then just like simple things like, oh, it has to be in a ready to drink. I'm like, why? So so we have to use more packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, why not be able to do a keg and serve it over the counter at yeah. a lounge that yeah. you've like, like, what are we protecting people from? Yeah, right. You know? Themselves. Yeah. I mean, I'm but a libertarian. I'll tell you so. what we're protecting people from is like from from, you know, state workers not having jobs. Right. But right. we that's a different podcast, right? That's a different podcast. OK, yeah. cool. Not for today. <laughs> um you're so informed. I think you're one of the most knowledgeable people. Partly that's because of the, your history in it. But what do you read? How do you stay informed? Like when you wake up in the morning, what do you what do you study? Oh, um, as of late, it's been difficult for me to find enough time to read. I, I listen to podcasts religiously. Mm-hmm. Um, in the car when you're driving? Or... In the car. Uh, sometimes I just have it on in the background, hoping that I absorb little pizza, pieces of information here and there. And it's widespread, you know, it could be cannabis, politics, food and bev, startups in general, um, just constantly trying to absorb information. And I think that's what it comes down to. I'm just like hyper curious, like when I'm taking a, sh- a shit, like I'm reading a book, right? Sometimes it makes me sit longer than I should. And this mm-hmm. is probably way too much information for your listeners. No, that's right? the best moment of hey, the day. But if they're listening this long into the podcast, they're actually at least liking what's going on. So You know, the first <laughs> few times people told me that they listened to me while they were taking a shit, I was kind of offended. <laughs> I was like, wow. And then I thought about it and I was like, wow, you're really bringing me into a very intimate moment. Like, yeah. that's pretty cool, actually. Well, and you, you just know? like that, that, that the concentrated state, like the like just yeah. undivided attention. Yeah, like, totally. It's special. Like, even when you're driving, you're paying attention on like what's going on around you but when you're well yeah we, we won't dive down this do anymore. you miss doing your podcast um you know uh sitting here with you uh yeah kind it's of fun it is fun um and you know we may or may not be uh launching a similar effort in the not too distant future well you got plenty of customers to interview that'd I be a do. good start yeah that'd be yeah. a good start and you know i think it's just um you, you, you mentioned it, like Chris at Level, Paul at, uh, at Chemistry, even Harold, you know. Uh, it's just there's so much knowledge in this space, and everyone's uncovering their own little corner of the industry. And if, if we pull together all this knowledge and, like, put it out there for people to at least hear about and understand, they could start to kind of, like, visualize the future uh, mm-hmm. the same way we do, mm-hmm. right? And so we've built our whole company on on transparency and honesty and trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and by doing that, like it just kind of like continually educates people and gives us the stage to create a better industry. Um, you know, I've talked to some of our competitors, and I'm, I just I go to them. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, how, how how are those polyphenols treating your emulsion systems? And they're like, oh yeah, you know, we we were not really trying to talk about that. <laughs> and I'm like, 
Well, why the fuck not? Yeah. Like it's it's a limitation. Like yeah. talk like where we wear our limitations on our sleeve, yeah. but all that does is makes me hell bent on solving it, right? Yeah. And so we're constantly solving problems, um, but ensuring that our customers are never surprised by the problems that we do have, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's natural, and it, it, this is part of science, and this is this is how people need to be running companies in this industry because there's already enough unknowns. Like, don't hide the unknowns. Like, let it be out there so we know what to solve. Mm-hmm. I'm interviewing Paul of Chemistry next week. Oh, fantastic. And um, you invested in them. You're on the board. He's a friend of both of ours. <laughs> yeah. What question should I ask Paul? Uh, dig into Paul himself, like mm-hmm. the, the ethos of which like chemistry was founded on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is uh, just a, an incredible human being. Um, he cares about the farmers. Like it tells so much about, uh, about, the company they're building and the products that they they make, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't by accident that they named it something like chemistry. Yeah, and it's just the juxtaposition of what chemistry, which is Paul's background, mm-hmm. like he comes from Gilead, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. amazing. Um, but like that, married with like sun-grown, organically grown practices, like single-lot farmers, like they they go out, like ask them about where how they select strain names. Mm-hmm. Um, like mm-hmm. they have the cool like. Like, no, rad company. I hope they get really, really big. Yeah. One for your pockets. <laughs> but also just because when somebody says they don't like vape pens, yeah. they say, well, you got to try chemistry. You have to try it's chemistry. It's a different experience. The full spectrum. It's the closest thing to smoking flowers without smoking flowers, That's right. in my opinion. Um, but anyway, Ben, it's been awesome. Yeah, Brandon. Thanks uh, for being here, man. I, I appreciate you. And, and thank you for like keeping going for all these years. Like, Never going to stop. This is fantastic. I love to interview people. It's my favorite thing in the world. We're cooking up some ideas for a second show. All right. That won't be in Canvas. It'll okay. be something different. Not ready to reveal that yet, but yeah. that'll, that'll be fun too. I, I can cross over. It's okay. Yeah, you yeah. can cross over. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know we'll have much of an audience to promote anything to start with, but you got to start somewhere. Sure. Um, how can the audience help you? What would you like to plug? Are you hiring for anything? Yeah, I mean, you know, my North Star metric as a CEO is to build the best company that I can. You know, I want to be the ones walking around a conference and and being that lighthouse company where it's like, I want to work for them, right? And this is not an ego thing. This is something that I believe that the, the industry deserves. Like, we deserve to pay fair wages. We deserve to, like, have, like, a happy and, and productive culture and not just be uh, building companies for the sake of headlines and, and making millions of dollars, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's far too many big companies in the space that really don't actually stand for something. And, you know, I wear it on my chest, chest, right? Like trust, leadership, and community. These are the things that we stand for, right? Mm-hmm. And so if that resonates with you and, and you think you're a star performer, like come talk to me. Like mm-hmm. I am here to help build leaders in the company, not only in the company, but in the industry, right? And so... You know, Austin Stevenson, who's on our team, constantly trying to find ways to promote him. He's a wealth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, say, same with C. Simone, Harold, and, and, and everyone else on our team. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, uh, that's what I'm looking for. You know, otherwise, if you want to make great products, come talk to me as well. And, you know, my, my time, while limited, is free. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you ever seen Jesus and Miro, the late night show? <laughs> yeah. So they do this segment where they're like, what would your neon sign say? Right. Above your bodega. Yeah. 
It's like you're saying in the world. Yeah, you know, yeah. What would yours be? Infuse the world. Infuse the world. That's right. I like that. Let's wrap up on that one. Thanks again, man. Great to see you yeah. as always. Thanks, Brandon.